0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. Happy to have you with us listening today, and we've got a good crew here. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Brad. Philip. Good morning, Brad. And Brian. Good morning, Brad. As always, we're happy to have you listening and joining us. You can always reach out to us if you want to have a topic, you have something you'd like us to discuss, and we've got a couple of listener questions we're going to talk about today, but you can email us at bci at ksu.edu, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at uh, underscore bci and we're always happy to get feedback and hear from you as the listeners and we've got a couple great topics to talk about today we're going to talk about ai for cows and if that's a good idea we'll talk about getting into lush pastures and then we'll answer a, a listener question on grazing different species together before we get into those we had julia herman on a few weeks ago from ncba she was a veterinarian that works with them and she gave us an update and said there are some really good tours going on around the country. There's stockman and stewardship tours. And there's gonna be one close to us in Leavenworth, Kansas, and it's gonna be in mid-June. So you can sign up for that. It's June 16th, 18th. You can sign up for that online if you're interested. Before we get into our, our topics today, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about Bob and I have had discussions before. Bob has four daughters. I have four boys, or he has three daughters, I have four boys. <laughs> And our discussions at our house are a little bit different. So I just want to give you a glimpse inside the mind of a teenage boy. This could happen to any one of ours, and you guys have all been through this. So one of our boys is going to have to get his wisdom teeth out. Mm -hmm. We were discussing how that's going to work and the anesthesia. And we said this, the anesthesia is just going to put you to sleep. And he goes, what if I want to stay awake? And we go, well, you, you won't want to stay awake, and you won't be able to. He goes, no, no. He goes, I would like to stay awake. And then right as they get ready to start, I'm going to go high because it would really surprise (laughs) him. (laughs) We said, you're not going to be able to stay awake. He goes, I'm
1: going to try other
0: people couldn't, but I think I I I could.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you go.
0: Can you relate to that? That is (laughs) the, that is the attitude as you go forward. Also, Brian, I wanted to, as we've talked to some of our guests and talked to some of the others. I realize we haven't got a chance to know everybody sitting around the table a little bit for our listeners. So, I want to tell us a little bit more about you and your background, Brian.
2: Yeah, so I'm Brian Lubers. I'm a veterinarian that graduated from K State actually twice, uh, once with the DVM, once with a PhD. Actually, I'm a Kansas native. I grew up down in South Central Kansas, lived here most of my life. I did spend a few years in California and a year in Iowa after I graduated from vet school at different practices. Um, and I've been back at K State for just uh, I'm between 15 and 20 years now I'm coming up on 20 years. Long enough, you can't remember. Long enough, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have a wife and two kids at home, a boy and a girl, one's getting ready to graduate high school. so we are in the, in the thick of it right now. so yeah, absolutely. and she's gonna she's gonna go to college and play volleyball. She is. she'll uh, she's gonna go to Manhattan Christian College here in town and dual degree at K State. Uh, with a long-term interest in forensic pathology on the human side. No no vet vet for our house. Yeah, forensic pathology, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: So a lot of the stuff that you have done, you you had some experience in practice on the dairy side, you had some experience in practice in other aspects of of veterinary medicine, and then you've done pharmacology while you've been here.
2: Yeah, Uh, practices were both mixed practices. Uh, California was primarily dairy, but um, in Iowa did beef dairy, a little bit of swine, not very much, and then companion animal, uh, and then yes. When I came back to K-State, I came back to do my PhD and focus with a interest in veterinary clinical pharmacology.
0: Excellent, thanks, Brian. Appreciate that intro, and and as we jump into topics for today, the first one, uh, Bob, you and I have had this, I'll call it a discussion before kind on of the a discussion. kind of a discussion, yeah, on the importance of. Should we, we've talked about AIing heifers before, and, and as a setup, in a let's look at the commercial cow-calf herd. We're calving in the spring. We're selling the calves at weaning in the fall or soon after weaning. That is the plan. Should I AI my cows or not? And w- what that comes with is synchronization and some of the other aspects. So I'll, I'll just start there. Should, should I AI my cows or not?
1: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll lead off with um, probably not just to be somewhat contrary because I, I teach the reproduction class i i teach a lot about how to how to synchronize heifers and cows and i'm not opposed to the concept in total in that you know if you're a purebred producer and you made a couple of constraints that that make me say probably not one is uh, a commercial producer that's different than a purebred producer and you said i'm going to sell it weaning and i if, I, if you say I'm going to retain ownership all the way through slaughter or something like that, I might be more interested. Uh, and so you put a couple of constraints on there that would say probably not. So, again, a producer could come to me with a set of situations, and it would work for them. But my reason is it's a lot of management. A lot of times um, I want cows to be relatively low labor. So it fits, you know. It, it's a question. Also, you know, if you've got a farming operation on top of it, then I'm really busy with the crops during either a fall breeding season or a spring breeding season, uh, and so I need to be able to focus some management on the cows for several weeks at a time when that may or may not fit with my other. Um, ah, it's not. Pulls it's out it's not timing. that bad. I'm going to say yes
0: because of all the reasons you just said. Because you said. I'm busy, I'm doing other stuff. Well, the nice thing about AI and synchronization, I can plan it. It is not two whole weeks of intensive management. It's like three days during a two week period. So if I can plan that out and I wanna do it because then my calving season can be tighter if i maintain it tight i can keep it tight and they calve in a relatively short period of
1: time i think that the listeners are understanding why this conversation keeps coming back up because we have not convinced each other either way yet and so we continue to have this discussion and and i'm not well, and again i well let's come ask
0: up, let's ask brian and philip right, i think damn. they're going to right. yes, they know who's right
1: they're going to yes they are going to know who's right come on guys here's here's a piece of chocolate well,
3: well let's see um Brad has my annual evaluation for him, so. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, I kind of, I think there's no one right answer. I mean, I think it depends on your operation and which way works best for you and what your goals are.
2: Yeah,
0: that, he got out of that cleanly. Bob. Yeah, you're not going to get out of that that cleanly.
2: Well, I I I agree with Bob in the Let fact go. that you put some constraints on it that makes me answer maybe slightly differently than I normally would. So, and I, you know, I have, I have some other questions too. Like, so if we're, are, is this a, we're obviously talking about people that are, I mean, either they're starting a new operation and they're going to go in this, but for most people it would be a transition too. Mm-hmm. And so I have questions about, yeah, it's a short, you can make it relatively short, you can plan it. Do you have the facilities to do that? Um, do you have the expertise to do this? You know, if you're AIing your heifers and now you're transitioning to cows, at least you probably have some of those things. Mm-hmm. But if you're not AIing anything and now you're going to start AIing everything, you you better think about some things before. I I don't think it. I, I guess I agree with both of you. I don't think it's an automatic yes you should or no you shouldn't. But you have to answer some very specific questions about what you're trying to do. I, and I agree with Bob if you're. If you're selling them at weaning, you're probably not getting all the benefit out of the AI. So uh,
0: now wait. Now I'm gonna push back on that a little bit because you you're not getting I will agree you're not getting the benefit of the genetics at weaning if you sell at weaning. However, I am having some of the cows that will calve a little bit earlier. And one of our biggest drives of weaning weight is how old those calves are. This is the part that you've got a spreadsheet, Bob, yep, yep, that looks at this and I don't agree with your spreadsheet, but it,
1: it is... He doesn't like math. What's yeah, the deal?
0: I'm not agreeing with math. But but you have some of them that will calve a little bit earlier just because they're synchronized. And if I can keep them calving early, one of the reasons I don't agree with your spreadsheet is it looks at one year. And I think if you're AIing and you get the cows calving early and you keep them calving early year after year... There's a longer-term benefit of keeping, A, keeping the cows in the herd, B, keeping more of my
1: calf crop early in the season. They weigh more at weaning. Well, I'll I'll give you a a little bit of a break in that. My spreadsheet's still right. Um, But the producers that I've seen that have made this work really well, the commercial producers, um, a lot of times they have experience already with heifers. They've got the the technique down really well. They've got good partners, you know, an AI company or something to, to be partners with and they have a lot of their cows that calve in the first 30 days in fact the couple of guys that i think do this the best only ai the cows that calved in the first 30 days and that they don't even try later and you know there's there's an argument out there that well yes our synchronization protocols will jump start some cows but the more you get past calving in the first 20, 30 days the less that jumpstarting really works and i and again what you're doing is you're, you're you are moving some cows forward but i'm spending money on all cows and that's that's the problem with my spreadsheet is you're you're putting quite a bit of cost into some cows that have a slight chance to move forward
3: here's a question to, to think about would you would it be beneficial to um ai them in groups so that you know you get. The first thirty days, instead of AIing all the cows at the same time, you do the ones that calved in the first thirty days at one point, and then you do the ones that calved in the next thirty days, the next point, and then try to. So you're trying to move some of those late ones up a little bit and and keep them in the herd. Yeah,
0: here's where here's where I'll differ, and, and I think Bob brings up a good point. I do not think AI and synchronization for cows will fix any problems. If you're doing good, they can make things better. If you're doing poorly. Do not AI your cows because that's not going to that's not gonna fix your problems. So it, it is one of the situations. If you have good, positive, and Bob, you've described it as momentum moving forward. If we're already rolling down the hill, awesome. This could help us get a little bit better. And, and it's not a huge improvement, right? It's incremental change. But if I want to do a little bit better, absolutely. If I've got problems or I've got cows that are spread out, I don't know if it's going to fix anything. And I think,
1: you know, to Phillip's point. It, it makes sense on paper to, like, split the herd into two groups. Maybe two-thirds of them, I, I, I breed it at one time and then wait maybe not even a full 30 days, but 21 days later or so and catch the second group. But now I've, I've really increased my management. And, and so I'm not sure that's the first place I would spend my management effort. But um, it, it's, it's one of those things. I'll go back to uh, the producer and the veterinarian need to sit down and really talk about what's going to fit best to their operation you know, and look at the calendar and look at, look at what dates we're actually talking about trying to pull this off. So I, I think there are some ways to kind of make it work for more people, but it takes work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and something worth looking at for your operation. And, and obviously we have different opinions on, on how often that would be used, but you have to look at your situation. I'd visit with your veterinarian, visit with somebody else about what kind of protocols are available and what's available to you. I wanna to transition topics and talk about transitioning cows to uh, lush pastures. And this was based on a listener question. And one of the things that came up was, what are what are some of the challenges? We've been feeding cows hay, they've been in dry lot, or they've been in another situation, and now the grass is starting to green up and we're moving forward. What are some of the challenges that they're gonna face? And Philip, I'm gonna start with you.
3: Well, the, the question um, centered around uh, loose stools in cows that are grazing lush pasture, and early, you know, early on they get on that really lush pasture. That first month or so, that it's really greening up, and and they get pretty loose. Um, and so, is that a concern? And in in my opinion, not not really. Um, you know, the the one of the reasons that that happens is we have a, a grass that is really high in moisture. You know, probably about eighty five or ninety percent moisture a grass that's really high in protein, probably around 15 to 20%, and a grass that's really low in fiber. And so because of those three things together, we get a faster passage rate um, through the digestive tract, and that that protein and, and, and things in that make it to the hindgut then hold water. And so then that makes that manure looser. So... Um, I, a problem no the other question is or is the cow getting everything she can out of the grass well probably not because it's passing through her GI tract faster but in I don't know of any cost-effective ways to really slow that down and and make it any better you can't even if you put hay out that's a choice I, that they're never to gonna make right
0: oh could I have dry hay or could I have that nice green grass
1: yeah, you'd almost have to force them to, to eat some of that hay by, you know, again, increasing your management. So pulling heifer or cows off of green grass, lock them up at night, feed them hay, force them to change the composition of their diet. And again, that may work in some situations, but but that would be a pretty special situation where you could actually slow down the passage rate by forcing them to kind of have, have, choo- <laughs> choose to eat their vegetables when they don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. Brian?
2: yeah I, I kind of I, I guess kind of the same thing as what Bob and Philip have already said is I, I'm not aware of any overt ways to make them slow down their digestion
1: of the- And and you and I aren't aware of any health problems I mean so yeah they're loose and they might be really loose, but that is not the same thing as a sick cow no with diarrhea yeah, yeah. No. it's
3: not yeah. yeah it's not diarrhea yeah
1: well, it's diarrhea <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll tell you that.
3: Well, <laughs> it's, but it's not it's not yeah. pathogenic. it's right. not
0: it's not a disease condition and And it's all that water passing through, and it's probably ok. But the one disease condition that we do need to think about, you transition to a lush green pasture. Not you talked about the protein and the fiber, but there's some actual differences in that grass, and especially that early grass in the amount of, magnesium Mm -hmm. that's present is the one that we get concerned about.
1: And that really doesn't have anything to do with the loose stools, but it does have to do with the fact, some of the other attributes that Philip was talking about, this is a grass that's really low in magnesium, pretty high in potassium, and that can lead to some nervous system problems. And so you see a cow that's down and can't get up. Maybe she's overly agitated. Sometimes these cows act uh, aggressive. Um, and they may have some muscle twitches and different things like that. Mu- similar to a, a grass or a, a milk fever that you'd see in a dairy cow, they have some of the same symptoms. Well, it's calcium, magnesium. Yeah, it's the same it's thing. It's the same things. And, and so um, a lot of times we'll talk about as a prevention to feed a high magnesium mineral, um, and I think that's really important to have that out there. The reason you can still run into problems is magnesium really makes, has a, has a bitter taste that cows don't like. So a lot of times we're, we're putting in some extra molasses or soybean meal or something that has a good flavor to get the cows to eat it. But there's always those cows that just don't eat their mineral. They're all supposed to eat four ounces a day, which means some of them eat six and some of them eat zero. Um, and so those cows, even in a supplemented herd, you could still have an occasional problem. And so be aware of it. And they need to be treated pretty rapidly or they'll proceed to death.
0: Uh, and I, And I think putting out the mineral not the day you put them on the grass, right? So you put out the mineral before and you try to build up a little bit as they're going both that they eat it and you can keep them in a little better mineral balance.
3: Well, one thing to keep in mind too is it the risk is different with different forages. So, you know, here in Kansas Flint Hills and our warm season native grasses, the risk is not as high as as you are in places where you've got a cool season um, grass that you've, especially if you've fertilized it because that, that nitrogen tends to um, kick up the potassium uptake of the plant. And so you got, now you got a higher amount of uh, potassium in that rumen with a low amount of magnesium and that antagonizes any magnesium absorption. Yeah. And,
1: and one other thing is it's not equally risky for different types of cattle. So a, a cow that has a calf that she's nursing, is at much greater risk because she's dropping a lot of minerals into her milk, and if you do see those signs, you know that she can't rise. She may be acting aggressive. or You see the muscle uh, twitching. the The treatment is basically an IV fluid that has a lot of these minerals in it that corrects her her mineral balance. and it And it has. There are some oral products that are oftentimes used as the follow up as she's recovering, but they probably don't change the mineral profile fast enough so you need an iv in into the vein uh treatment to really get these cows turned back around
0: so it's relatively soon after calving and we mentioned this is similar to what we may call a milk fever or low calcium and brian i know you've had a a fair bit of experience with that the nice thing is bob Bob said if we we should treat them early if we treat them early what kind of response do i expect
2: yeah it's it's actually one of the most rewarding things to treat as a veterinarian because if you diagnose it right and you treat it right a lot of times they'll be up and standing in 10 15 20 minutes so we we expect the treatment response is pretty rapid with these things so um, but it we I would encourage people if you're not if you haven't seen this before or you're not sure what you're doing you really need to work with a veterinarian because some of these treatment products um, if you give them wrong you can actually kill the animal too so uh, we want to make sure that we know what we're doing when we're when we're treating these and make and make sure we have the diagnosis right too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Make sure it's the right thing. But a lot of times we're concerned about those cows two to six weeks after calving, the grass has just become green. We get them out there. One of the things that we do to prevent, we talked about the high mag mineral. The other thing that I would bring up is thinking about the composition of our pastures, which Philip mentioned this, and he talked about types of grasses but even a grass legume mix so if you've got cool season grass and you've got some clover in there or you've got some other type of legume that will help because it
3: dilutes out what they're eating so but yeah. what yeah leg- legumes have a higher magnesium content than grasses and so if you got legumes in your pastures that can help mitigate that risk so
0: absolutely i want to get to our last listener question and i thought this was a good question and and basically they're they are intensively managing some of their grazing systems and one of the ways that they're doing that is they have goats and cattle that graze as separate groups and the question is and and brian and bob i'm going to address this to you specifically parasites or diseases
1: is there anything we need to worry about transferring between goats and cattle i'll address the parasite issue And, and this is actually one where some of the the grazing researchers have have really pointed out some of the advantages kind of a mixed species grazing system it does take more again it takes more management uh, now you've got another species to deal with and the marketing and everything about having another species but um, from a parasite control it's actually a good way to to decrease the parasite load for both the small ruminants either sheep or goats and cattle by kind of uh, flip-flopping when they're on the pastures because they don't share the same parasites, and so uh, you could have cattle parasite eggs on the pasture, and if cows came along and ate that grass, they would get infected. But if a small ruminant comes along and eats that grass, they they don't because they're not susceptible. So it is actually there's there's no negatives and some positives to having kind of a mixed species grazing system. Any diseases, Brian? Um, not
2: not anything we would routinely worry about. I guess I mean there. They are both ruminants, and so there are some things they could share. And I'll give an so the one example I can think of, which wouldn't be very common, but I mean they they could they could carry brucellosis. There are some things they could carry. Um, I, you know, those are things, and they're very specific. It's probably probably you know we talk about biosecurity all the time. It's probably one of those things. If you talk to your veterinarian, if you haven't done this and you're thinking about starting. Um, then I'd, I'd probably talk to my veterinarian and say, Hey, are there any things we need to test for before we start bringing animals into the herd, whether that's cattle or small ruminants? doesn't I, either way, I probably test those. Um, but, but not, not really, I mean, not things that I would be concerned. And I mean, quite honestly, it's, it's done a fair bit around here, like for the reasons that Bob mentioned. And, um, maybe Philip could, Phillip could talk too. you. Know, they don't have the same preferences for forages. So you maximize, that's why people do it. Right. So, but no, not not really anything I'd worry about.
3: Yeah, you're right, Brian. They, goats are more what we call a browser, and so they don't, uh, and cattle are, are a grazer. where And so goats tend to eat the, like, leaves off of shrubs and things like that more than they eat grass, or they would prefer to do that more than, eat, than they eat grass. And so they can actually be a good brush control um, on a pasture. Um but again, it's going to be you got to think about managing stocking rates between the two species because oh, you could, you know, you may have some grass out there, but then those goats are over going to overgraze the shrubs and and other things that they prefer to eat, and so then you can have goats that are thin or not getting the nutrition they need because they're trying to you're forcing them to eat grass that doesn't have the high as high enough digestibility that they need. Well, and I think I think you
0: could play that into each species that we can think of that we have out there whether it's goats or sheep or cattle or horses they have different preferences for what they're going to graze and they will graze to different heights given the given the ability so your pasture regrowth is a lot dependent on what height you leave it to so i i think good points there not a not a lot of concerns just just going back to how do we manage that how do we make it fit and i and i think that's good
1: nope i was just going to say you know if i'm a cattle Grazer, and I'm really good at cattle. I'm going to have to learn some new skills because small ruminants are different. That's a well. That's a good call.
0: Small ruminants are different and than I big see, ruminants.
1: I can tell, and I can see it from the road. They're smaller. I can, I can, they're smaller. smaller. Yeah,
0: yeah I can see. Smaller. I can see your training coming right out, <laughs> I'm a K-State grad. <laughs> well, Brian graduated twice. That's what we learned today. So I, I think we have appreciated you joining us. And, and we had a couple great listener questions today. If you have a listener question, you can send us a, an email or you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our Twitter is at the underscore BCI. And our email is bci at ksu.edu.